Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I want to take you back a little bit in time, and I want to show you some pictures and see how good your memory recall is, all right? Uh, first of all, I want to put a character up on the screen who was a star in a sitcom in the 1990s, and I want you to see if you can tell me his name. Let me see the picture. Okay, so who's that? Obviously, right? Everybody knows. Anybody that watched TGIF back in the 90s knows this is Steve Urkel. If you don't know Steve, you at least know Urkel, this quirky little guy that was the neighbor of this family in Chicago. So the next picture I want to put up on the screen is the family that he was neighbor to. So let's put that picture up on the screen. How many of you remember the name of the family? Oh, not yeah. Well, somebody said it. And then, oh, yeah, now I know, right? We all know Urkel, but everybody panics over. Okay, I'm not sure. But Urkel really, it's interesting when the show started, Urkel was not a main character. He was just going to be a recurring character. The main characters were just the family, but his character so dominated the show that by season two, he became a mainstay. But it's the Winslow family there in Chicago. So, everybody knew Urkel. A few people knew the Winslows. How many of you remember the name? Don't, don't say it out loud. The name. Don't say it out loud. The name of the show. What was it? There you go. Family Matters, right? Family Matters was this show that came on every Friday night. There's kind of the opening scene when you saw it in season one as it began. It was a part of the fabric of American life from the fall of 1989 all the way until 1998. Nine seasons. And the show's aim was to allow us to walk with the Winslow family through all the matters of life that they experienced, while at the same time trying to convince us that family really does matter. Unfortunately, we did not learn that lesson. And when you look at American culture today, unlike maybe never before, we are experiencing brokenness in the family. There's a lot of statistics we could give. I want to give you just a few just to kind of show you where we are and where we've come from as a society. In 1895 in America, only three out of every 1,000 couples in America experienced divorce. Three out of 1,000 in 1895. By 1916, 
the United States of America led the world in the number of divorces. And today, approximately 50% of American children will witness the breakup of their parents' marriage. Think about that. 50% of the children in America will witness the breakup of their parents' marriage. Now, it's even more tragic than that. Of those that walk through that, 50% of them will see the breakup of their parents' second marriage. And of those that experience that, one in ten of them will see the breakup of their parents' third marriage. Forty percent of children growing up in America today are being raised without fathers. Forty percent. Children from broken homes are 50% more likely to develop health problems and twice as likely to drop out of high school than their peers than are those living with both of their parents. When you think about teenagers today in America, in the next 24 hours, so by this time tomorrow, in the next 24 hours, 1,439 teenagers will attempt suicide in America. 2,795 teenage girls will become pregnant. 15,006 teenagers will use drugs for the very first time in the next 24 hours. 3,506 teenagers will run away from home, the family. And in the next 24 hours, two teenagers will be murdered. I don't need to say it, but we desperately need help when it comes to family matters in our nation. And the bottom line is we need something much greater than a TV sitcom to find the answers and solutions. But I'm here today to give you hope. And here's what I mean by that. God has not abandoned us and left us on our own as it pertains to family. As a matter of fact, just over 1,900 years ago, God inspired a man by the name of Paul. We know him in Christian circles as the Apostle Paul, that that. that one that attacked the church and persecuted the church named Saul that came to know Christ and then his name was changed to Paul. He became the great missionary of the early church. Almost over 1,900 years ago, God inspired this man named Paul to sit down and write a letter to a group of Christians living in a city called Ephesus. As a part of that letter, he spent several paragraphs addressing family matters. And today, as a church family, we are launching into a five- or six-week series that we're simply calling Family Matters, Hope for Your Household. And we're going to be looking not at what a TV sitcom has to say, not at what Hollywood or Washington, D.C. has to say. We're going to be looking at what the Word of God has to say about matters that pertain 
to the family. So, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it today to Ephesians chapter 5. And here's what I want to do first. I want to read the entire section of Scripture in this letter that deals with family. Now, what I'm about to read for you, we are not going to unpack today. As a matter of fact, today we're only going to look at one verse of what I'm about to read for you. But over the next five or six weekends, we're going to be unpacking this passage of Scripture collectively. So, Ephesians chapter 5, I want to begin reading in verse number 21, and we're going to read all the way down through Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I'm going to talk about this in just a few moments, but everything else we're about to read is an expression of or an example, or an illustration, or a prescription of that phrase being lived out. Everything else hangs under this idea of us being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. He's he's about to talk about husbands and wives, parents and children, but all of this under the umbrella of our living in subjection to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in the fear of Christ. So he says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now for today, that's as far as we're going to get. It's just verse 21, but I want to read the rest to get it on the table. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves Himself, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless... Each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
lot of good stuff in this section of Scripture. God gave us this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul to speak divine truth into our lives about how we are to function as a family. You can tell here he addresses the relationships of husbands and wives and parents and children. And we're going to get real specific digging into all of that. But as we begin today, I want to start by giving you three foundational truths. I understand as we start a series like this today, some of you are here and you're a part of the Hope family. And you're here today because you were here last week and you're going to be here next week and you come every week. Regardless of what series we're going to be doing, you just show up trusting that we're going to teach the Word of God. And so you came today with your Bible open and your notebook ready and your pencil to start taking notes and and learning what the Scripture says. So some of you that are here today are regular part of the Hope family. You're already followers of Jesus Christ and you're all in and you heard what I just read for you, and it didn't sound strange. It didn't sound foreign. You've read it many times before, and you're ready to hear it unpacked here in 2019. But I also understand that today, some of you are here, and this may be the very first time you've ever been in a church before. Maybe somebody this week invited you. They gave you one of our little cards that said Family Matters, and they invited you to come and be a part of our fellowship, and this is the very first time you've ever been in church, or maybe it's the first time you've been in church for a very long time. Listen, I want you to know we're going to teach this from a perspective of standing on the truth of God's Word, but trying to understand that the audience that's here today and over this series is going to be made up of the spectrum of those that are deep in their walk with God and those that maybe have never been to church before. So we're going to try to unpack this in a way that we can all wrap our hearts around it. But to get us there, I want to start with three foundational truths, all right? Here's the first one. Paul is writing these verses. This section of Scripture is written to people who are already following Jesus. He's writing this to Christian people. Let me show you what I mean by that. If you go back to the very beginning of this letter that we just jumped right in the middle and started reading, chapter 1, verse 1, the first line of this letter, listen to what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful to Christ Jesus. So, as we read these words today, the assumption is that Paul knew his audience. Paul was not writing a letter here to the general public. Paul was writing to those who were already following Jesus. They'd already become uh, Christians, and they were striving to be faithful in their walk with God. And I say that because if you're here today, And you are not yet a follower of Jesus. You are not somebody who would claim to be a Christian. Much of what you hear and much of even what you heard me read from Scripture can sound very strange or even counter-cultural. But the reality is that those of us who are already Christians have embraced the the Lord Jesus Christ. And in embracing Jesus and deciding to follow him, we've embraced a radical way of life as it appears in our culture that leads to ultimate joy and fulfillment. 
And so as we look at God's word as followers of Jesus, we who have embraced Christ have submitted ourselves to his word, believing that God created life and God knows best how it's supposed to be lived. And so what God did in creating life is he gave us boundaries and parameters. And those boundaries and parameters that he gave us as it pertains to family are not to hurt us. They're not to rob us of joy and pleasure. The boundaries and parameters are given to protect us. God, when he says, don't do something, what he's saying is, don't hurt yourself. When he says, do something, he's saying, help yourself. So as we look at scripture as a Christian, from our perspective, we see God's word as giving us those boundaries and parameters that have been given to us by the one who created life so that we could best know how to live it. That makes sense. Say amen. Let me try to explain it a little bit further, and I'm going to use a board over here and do some drawing, all right? So we live in a world today, as we just talked about a moment ago, that is a world filled with brokenness. I mean, we don't have to go through those statistics again to realize that we live in a world that is filled and dominated by brokenness. Now, we're talking specifically about family matters in this series, but the brokenness does not stop with family matters, right? I mean, when you look at our society today, whether it's financially, politically, racially, socially, our world is broken, and family is included in that. As we look at family and the way family is playing out today, there is much brokenness in our world. But the reality is that God has a perfect design. When God created us and he created human beings, God has a perfect design for us and how we are to live and how we're to experience life. And God created life to be lived out of the overflow of a relationship with him in fellowship with other people, honoring the boundaries and parameters that he put in place. But what we did as human beings is we have sinned against God. What is sin? It's the Bible word for every time we step across God's boundary. Every time we step across one of God's boundaries, every time we disobey one of God's commands, we sin against God. And our sin is what has resulted in this brokenness. Because we've deviated from God's perfect design, there's now brokenness all over our society, not the way God intended it, but we chose to step outside of God's design. Now, what we've done is we've tried to come up with all these ways to fix our own brokenness. We've tried morality. We've tried religion. We've tried good works. We've tried success. We've tried fame. We've tried relationships. All these things we've tried to fix the brokenness that's in our world. But we're not doing a very good job, right? It continues to get worse. But here's the beauty of the love and grace of God. He loved us so much, he didn't leave us here in our brokenness. God, in his grace, sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Jesus is God who came into the world. Jesus is God that took on human flesh, came into the world, and Jesus did what we couldn't do. Jesus lived out an entire life fulfilling God's perfect design. 
And Jesus took all of the sin that we'd committed. And on the cross, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He took all of our sin on himself. Every way that you and every way that I had broken God's law, stepped across God's boundary, he took it on himself and Jesus died on the cross for our sin. But he did not stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin so that now in our brokenness, if we simply turn from our sin, the Bible word for that is repentance, and if we will believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, God takes us from our brokenness and gives us a relationship with himself. And as we grow in that relationship, what's happening is God is restoring and redeeming his perfect design in our lives. That is the message of the gospel. So the good news today is, although we may be in brokenness and we can't fix it ourselves, Jesus came into the world to redeem and restore that which we lost because of sin. If that's good news, say amen. Amen. Now, get this. It's even more beautiful because when we come to know, when we turn from our sin and believe in Jesus, we enter into a relationship with God where Jesus by his spirit comes to live within us. And as he lives within us, we grow in a relationship with Jesus. And then what God in his grace does, and this is what's so unbelievable, he sends us and we go back into this world of brokenness. But now we go with the message of Jesus telling other people how they can get out of brokenness and experience God's perfect design. If that makes sense, say amen. So here's the bottom line today. Today, there are two groups of people here. You are either one of those in a growing relationship with Jesus, pursuing God's perfect design. Now, as we're teaching this series, here's what you need to know. By and large, this is who we're talking to. We're talking to people who've come to know Jesus and are now desiring to grow in their relationship with Jesus in pursuing and restoring God's perfect design. Because here's the bottom line. I don't have any pop psychology or how-to manual that's going to lead anybody out of brokenness. The only way out of brokenness is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't stand here before you today and tell you that as a pastor of a church. I stand here today before you and tell you that as somebody who himself was living in the world of brokenness. As a freshman in college, I was in this world of brokenness. And I, I was trying all these other things to fill the brokenness in my own life. And it wasn't until I understood this message of Jesus and I came to know Jesus and Jesus came to live inside of me that I began to grow in my relationship with him in pursuing God's perfect design. Now, doesn't mean that I've arrived. It's a growing relationship that we enjoy until heaven. But this by and large is the group of people that we are talking to. We're talking to those who already have a relationship with Jesus and are growing in pursuing and restoring God's perfect design. But there's a second group of people here today. You're here today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus and you're living in this brokenness. 
Now, before we go any further, I don't want you to answer out loud, but in your own heart, who are you? Are you here? Have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not perfect. I still got some brokenness, but I'm in a relationship where I'm growing and it's being restored or are you apart from a relationship with Jesus and trying to figure it out on your own? Listen, if you're here today and you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, here's the best thing I can do for you. I'm going to ask everybody in the room for just a moment, just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not done yet, so don't start packing up. I'm coming back. (laughs) But just bow your head and close your eyes because I want to give us just a minute. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know him. I've never turned from my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. With nobody looking around right now but me. If you've never done that, I want to lead you in an opportunity to give your life to Jesus today because that's the starting point. If we're really going to deal with issues in the family, listen, that's step one. Step one. So if you're here today and you'd like to give your life to Jesus with nobody looking around but me, I'm just going to lead you in a word of prayer. Now, prayer doesn't save you. It's faith. It's turning and believing in Jesus that begins the relationship. But one of the ways we can take that step is by praying. So if you'd like to give your life to Jesus and believe in him today to turn from your sin and brokenness and receive Jesus, just pray this with me right there in your seat. Just pray it in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken because of my sin. Today I turn from my sin and I believe in you. That you are God, that you died for my sin, and that you rose again. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I want everybody to look this way. Listen, if you just prayed with me for the very first time in your life to receive Jesus, to turn from your brokenness and follow Jesus. I want to be the first to say welcome to the family of God. Listen, you may not know it yet, but you need to know, listen, you need to know by God's grace, you just went from right here to right here, to right here. Jesus now lives inside of you. And he is going to begin to do something in you that before this moment you never dreamed possible. When you thought about your marriage, your relationship to your kids, your relationship to your in-laws, the extended family, there's some stuff that you never dreamed possible that is now possible because of Christ in you. And as you grow in an intimate love relationship with him, your life is going to begin to be radically changed. Not external behavior modification, but internal transformation, Christ in you beginning to live through you. So, if you just prayed with me for the very first time and gave your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. When we finish in just a few moments, and I have a stand, and we're going to sing a song of worship. If you just prayed and you received Jesus for the very first time, 
when we stand and sing, I want you to come. We're going to have pastors along the front. I want you to come to one of these pastors today. And when you get here, Tim, you just say, today I, I turn to Jesus. That's all you got to say. Today I turn to Jesus. If you forget that, don't worry about it. Just stand here. We'll know why you came. <laughs> today I turn to Jesus. All right? And then we want to have somebody sit down with you. We got some information we want to give you to do what? To help you begin to grow in this relationship so you can pursue the restoration of God's perfect design. Now, the other option you have, and I hate to even give you a second option because I want you to do that one. But maybe you just feel too intimidated. It's your first time ever just to come down here to one of our pastors in just a few moments. I'm going to pray you have the boldness to do that. But there's also a next step center out in our lobby over to my right and your left. You can stop by that next step center, tell them the same thing. Today I turn my life over to Jesus, and they'll give you some information to help you take next steps. If that's clear, say amen. All right, so that's foundational principle number one. Paul is writing to followers of Jesus. So you need to know we're writing, and Paul's writing to people that are already here growing in a relationship with Jesus. Number two. Paul is writing to followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That are filled with the Holy Spirit. Put verse 18 out of Ephesians chapter 5 up here on the screen. Now, we started reading in verse 21. But if you were going to, I know this is going to make some of you cringe on the inside. Back in school when they taught us in English to diagram sentences, anybody remember that? I know, I feel the same way, right? I'm with you, man. <laughs> Diagramming sentences. Well, there's great value in that because it helps us understand. In the English language, it's about finding the subject and the verb and diagramming the sentences that way. In the Greek language, it's all about the verb. If you were going to diagram a sentence in the, ver in, in the Greek language, it starts with a verb and everything hangs on the verbs. Here's why this is important. Everything that we read a few moments ago out of Ephesians chapter 5, if you were diagramming it, all hangs on this sentence. This is the verb that everything else falls under. Let me read it for you. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be, say it out loud, filled with the Spirit. Now, here's what happens in the New Testament here in Ephesians 5. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul begins to give examples of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. The fifth of those examples is, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You see it? So, be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? It looks like all these things. And then here's the fifth one, be subject to one another. Everything he says about husbands and wives, everything he says about parents and children is under this idea of being subject to one another, which is under this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. To be filled with the Spirit is the moment-by-moment -moment decision of the Jesus follower to yield the control of one's life to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. As he applies the Word of God to our choices, our attitudes, our actions, and our reactions. So this person who knows Jesus has been filled with the Spirit of Jesus, and moment by moment as we live our lives, the Holy Spirit of Christ inside of us is, is prompting and wooing and revealing to us the truth of God's Word, and as we yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we begin to experience the restoration of God's divine 
design. Make sense? Let me give you the third foundational truth. Being filled with the Holy Spirit changes the way we relate to everyone, but especially the way we relate to our family. Let me put Ephesians 5, 18 to 21 back up here. So we just read it. Do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul uses five words, speaking, making, giving thanks, being subject, and and singing. Those five words are all under this verb being filled with the Spirit. The first four, this idea of speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first four of those deal with the way being filled with the Holy Spirit of God changes our worship of God and our walk with God. But the fifth one, it's about the change in the way we relate to one another. So here's what I'm saying to you. When we come to know Jesus Christ, when we genuinely surrender our lives to him, here's what happens. It changes my relationship to God and it changes my relationship to people. Christ in me begins to change the way I worship God, the way I honor God, the way I thank God, and it changes the way I live towards other people. And the defining statement about how we now relate is this one. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. William McDonald said it this way. Look at this quote. Be subject to one another is a phrase too often neglected. It names a test of spirituality which Christians too seldom apply. Many persons feel that shouts of hallelujah and exulting songs and the utterance of praise is more or less unknown tongues are all proofs of being filled with the Spirit. These all may be spurious and deceitful and without meaning. Submission to our fellow Christians, modesty of demeanor, humility, unwillingness to dispute, forbearance, gentleness, these These are the unmistakable proofs of the Spirit's power. Here's what he's teaching us here in Ephesians. What what, what often happens, and this is a huge mistake, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, but, but pastors get up to teach on family, and they start with verse 22. Wives, be subject. Total misinterpretation of the text. This starts with, be all of us filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then as Christians, the first obvious evidence that we're living in in the filling of the Holy Spirit of God is we begin to live in subjection to one another, all of us, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he begins to give specific examples, and we're going to talk about that. But you can't separate it from the flow of the passage of Scripture. We don't just get to jump into God's Word and pick it up wherever we want to and make it say whatever we want it to say. There's a verse in the Bible that says, there's a verse in the Bible that says Judas went and hanged himself. There's another verse that says, go and do likewise. Now, you stick that together, you can cause a lot of problems. 
But God wrote his word in context, in letters, for us to understand it. What is this? This is God's perfect design. He made us to live filled with him. And out of the overflow being filled with him, it changes the way we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that spills into the relationships in the family. You know why this is so broken? Because we're doing it without him. It's not possible. So, now to the message for today. <laughs> What's funny is you think I'm kidding. Uh, uh, All right, here's what what I'm going to do. I'm going to, my dad taught me growing up, my dad's one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard. Matter of fact, he's going to be preaching here November 24th, weekend before Thanksgiving. Don't miss it. You're going to want to be here. But here's what my dad taught me. My dad taught me a good sermon is like a stick of bologna. You can cut it off anywhere and it's just as good right there. So. So, so here's what I'm about to do. I'm, I'm going to give you a little preview of how I want to begin next week to tell you what this idea of being sucked, because I want you to chew on this all week this week, because I wanted to ask and answer three questions about this. Number one, what does it mean to be subject to one another? Why am I to do this? And then how? But, but for sake of time, just to get it on the table, we're going to come back and I'll unpack it a little bit more next weekend. Let me give you a statement that our pastoral team has been working on for a few weeks that we finalized this week that we believe defines what it means to be subject to one another. Here's the defining statement. In every way I relate to you, I consider you more important than me. Let's read that out loud together. One, two, three. In every way I relate to you, I consider you more important than me. I just let that marinate for a minute. And again, this isn't simply... Wives, be subject to your own husbands. This is all of us. The way we relate to every one of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. You can say something, change our church. That. We're going to talk more about this next weekend. This is what it looks like when the Spirit's filling us. The opposite of that is flesh. When my flesh takes over, it's the opposite of that statement. It's in every way I relate to you, I consider me more important than you. Most of the stuff that's broken in our relationships, specifically in our family, would be changed by simply flipping those two statements. In every way I relate to you, instead of considering me more important than you, I'm going to consider you more important than me. How would it change your marriage this week? If in every way I relate to you, 
I consider you more important than me. Be subject to one another. That's our only way out of the brokenness. It's Christ. And as Christ begins to live his life through us, this is what it looks like. In every way I relate to you. Now, I know there's all, we're going to talk about this next week. There's all kind of stuff in you right now going, wait a minute. If I do that, we start sounding like Urkel. If I do that. I'm going to get run over like a freight train. (laughs) Now listen, this is where it's about your trust in God and His design. Now again, we're going to talk about this. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about oppression. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, We're going to unpack more of that. But this is what it looks like when Christ in us begins to live through us. And that will change the matters in our family. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray today that you would, as only you can, speak divine truth. God, would you give people ears to hear what it is you desire to speak to them today? As we sit quietly in this moment, you sit with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. For starters, today, in just a moment, our worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship. And as we do that today, these steps up here at the front, we like to call them an altar. You can just treat them like an old-fashioned altar. Maybe God's just stirred something in your heart today about where you are. And you just want to come and be alone with God and spend some time praying for your family, for relationships, for the brokenness in your life, whatever it is. This altar is going to be open. You can come. Our pastors are going to be here. If you want to come and pray with one of them about something going on in your job, your health, your family, an area where you're experiencing some brokenness, you can come. We'd be honored to pray for you. But there are two really big questions I want to ask today. Number one, do you know Jesus? That's the starting point in all this. The only way out of the brokenness is Jesus. If there was another way out, we'd have found it a long time ago. It's the only way out. If today you prayed with me and gave your life to Jesus, when we stand and begin to sing, some Christians are going to be coming to pray here at the front. I want to invite you to come to one of our pastors and simply say, today I turned my life over to Jesus. And we want to sit down with you and talk with you for just a minute. It'll just take a couple minutes, I promise. Or maybe you didn't pray with me, but you're ready to give your life to Christ. You can come to one of our pastors today and say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you. Do you know Jesus? That's the first question. Here's the second question. If you already know Jesus, believer, are you walking filled with the Holy Spirit of God? And listen, if the relationships in your life are broken, don't be quick to say yes. Because the first obvious evidence that we're walking in the filling of the Holy Spirit is it changes the way we relate to one another. Maybe as a Christian, you just need to turn your chair into an altar or come to the altar and just 
begin to cry out to God, confessing your own sin, where you've begun to put yourself as more important than the needs of your family, your wife, your husband, your children. You've begun to live out of the flesh rather than by the control of the Holy Spirit of God. The altars are going to be open. The pastors are here. Embrace God's forgiveness today. Lord, I know, I know, I know that when you talk about family and the brokenness, God, that it resonates. All of us are experiencing different levels of brokenness. Even those of us that know Jesus and are in relationship with Jesus and growing, we're, we're still in a process of pursuing restoration to God's divine design. So, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak today. God, I pray specifically for those today that have received Jesus or need to receive Jesus, that they would immediately when we stand, you'd give them the boldness to come to one of these pastors. I pray for Christians that need to come get in one of these altars. Lord, I pray that they would do that simply if for no other reason, they'd respond to your Holy Spirit to just encourage those that have come to Christ to come. Lord, have your way in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.